welcome everyone to the Predictably Treacherous podcast. Uh, what uh, an atrocious embarrassment. It has been over two months since I released my previous episode. I don't know what happened. I got really busy with work, really busy with life. What can I tell you? All right, so we're going to correct that. Um, today we're going to be doing the Slumber Party Massacre trilogy. I purchased the DVD from Shout Factory quite a while ago. Um, and let's get into it. Okay, so Slumber Party Massacre, uh, 1982. Here's what Wikipedia had to say. The Slumber Party Massacre is a 1982 American slasher film directed by Amy Holden Jones, written by Rita Mae Brown, and starring Michelle Michaels, Robin Still, and Michael Villela. The film follows a high school senior who gathers her friends for a slumber party, unaware that an escaped power drill-wielding killer is loose in the neighborhood. The film was originally written by Brown as a parody of the slasher genre, but was shot as a straightforward horror film instead. As a result, it contains more humor, both intended and unintended, than usual for the genre. The film initially received mixed reviews, but has since developed a cult following. Two sequels, Slumber Party Massacre 2 and Slumber Party Massacre 3, followed in 1987 and 1990, respectively. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that humor part. I didn't really find a lot of humor in at least the first film. But, um, okay, so what do we got? The opening sequence, um, we got that's the West Coast, there's palm trees, it's the suburbs. Um, there's a hot chick waking up and immediately right into it takes off her nightie and puts on a dress, boobs. So they know their audience. They have nudity right away. She's young, like 18-ish, you know, kind of thing. Um, she's hot. Her room is like, it's kind of a little girl's room, um, which is super creepy. But I guess that's a point because um, she starts to pack up all the dolls and stuffed animals, and she puts them in a brown paper bag. And I guess the metaphor is like, well, she's or the, what what they're trying to portray is that she's taking her girlhood, her like her childhood, and she's leaving it behind her. She's packing it all up and she's getting rid of it. And she's going to be a woman because she's turning 18 now. Trish, honey, where are you? Coming, Mom. Hello, music for a Friday morning. And now here's the news with Emma Chapman. Our top story. Police are still searching for escaped murderer Russ Thorne. Thorne was convicted of the brutal slaying of five people in Venice, California in 1969. More news in a moment. How about my blue jacket? Did you remember that? It's in there. Okay. The plane tickets, where I are they? Okay. Trish, the chips are under the sink and there's soda in the fridge. And our number at the hotel is right by the phone. Okay, Mom. Everything will be fine. Annette, we have to go right this minute. Mr. Content will be home all weekend, and he'll look in on you. Hi, Mr. Content. Don't worry. I, I won't let the girls get in any trouble. Oh, shit. Annette! Bye-bye, baby. Bye. You lock all the doors and windows. Mom, I'm 18 years old, remember? You will always be my baby. Um, um. 
right? So what you have there is um, her parents are going away uh, on a weekend, and they're leaving her at home alone, and she's sure to mention that she's 18 years old, so the audience knows that it's okay to ogle her when she takes off her top. And um, there's a Mr. Conyers guy, whatever his name is. He's going to be looking in on them. He's like a creepy neighbor, but he's well-meaning enough. As soon as the parents leave... Um, she dumps that bag full of dolls and stuffed animals into the garbage, and there's a hand that reaches in and grabs out a doll. So um, a little more, a little foreshadowing about what's to come. So there's a good article about um, this film in the Daily Nebraskan, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And it's um, the article talks about how the writer and the director of this movie were both kind of uh, feminists. But the horror movie plays out like a typical horror movie, um, and it doesn't exactly seem uh, from a feminist perspective. I mean, the girls are they're naked most of the time, they're screaming, and, and they're not really that capable. Um, the article also kind of, discusses a bit about how and, and this is this is kind of obvious when you're watching the movie but it's nice to see it explored a bit in the article is about how the um the girls are approaching the age of sexual activity and that the weapon of choice is this very large and phallic drill um and there are some some pretty good shots where the drill is hanging down through the killer's legs and the girls are cowering on the ground in like 90s. Actually, I think the movie poster has that picture. It doesn't get more sexually suggestive than that. So there's a scene towards the end of the film where um, the killer slowly walks up to uh, the main girl who is cowering on the ground in her 90 and um, he has the drill. He's just killed one of the women, um, and he has the drill, and it's hanging down from his legs. And, well, let's just hear it. How pretty. All of you are very pretty. Please don't do this. I love you. Please. I didn't hurt you. Please don't do this. Takes a lot of love for a person to do this. Go away. You know you want it. You love it. Yeah. Yeah, so as you can see, that that sounds, um, it really seems to explore the the anxiety around the girls reaching sexual age. You know what I mean? Like he's, there's a dude and he's, he's really coming on strong to her saying, oh, you know, you want it and you love it and trying to convince her. I love you, and yes, yes, you want it, and all this. And she's like um, pleading with him not to do it, and and then she says, "I don't even know you." 
it's really strange. It's like this, it's like it's really exploring the anxiety around reaching uh, sexual activity age. Anyways, at the end of that clip, too, you can hear um, footsteps. There's a, one of the girls comes running in with a machete, and um, then she chases a killer out by the pool, and the killer raises his erect penis, a.k.a. his drill, into the air, and she lops it off with a machete. So uh, it's good. It's kind of a fun little film. So other than the... Um, you know, the metaphor for reaching the age of sexual activity and the anxiety around that. This is a standard just killer movie. There's uh, a lot of people getting drilled and blood and dudes running around trying to see the women naked. There's a few other nude scenes in this. There's girls inexplicably showering at school, a bunch of them. And they're all naked. Um, but it's a, it's a pretty standard slasher movie from the early 80s. I liked it. It's a lot of fun. Okay, so now for Slumber Party Massacre 2, 1987. Here's what I've written about this. So Courtney, the younger sister of Valerie from the first film, has recurring nightmares about a guitar-drill-wielding rockabilly singer who stalks her as she hides under the bed. So Courtney has eschewed a weekend visit to see her sister Valerie in a mental hospital so that she and her all-female bandmates, she's in a pop band, can go on a weekend excursion to a supposedly empty condo development where their boyfriends will meet them for partying and sex. Courtney's nightmares slowly start to creep into her waking life as hallucinations, and eventually, the hallucinations become real when the rockabilly killer guitar drills her boyfriend just as he and Courtney are about to have sex. He then begins chasing and killing Courtney's friends and their boyfriends while intermittently singing rockabilly to the audience. Eventually, after all Courtney's friends have been killed, Courtney kills the guitar drill killer by setting him on fire with propane somehow. But wait, Courtney wakes up in her bed with her boyfriend next to her, and she kisses him. Was it all just a dream? But wait again, the boyfriend morphs into the killer. But wait again, now Valerie wakes up in her bed, which seems to be in an attic, and she's screaming and a drill comes through the floor. Was it Valerie dreaming all along? I am, of course, reminded of Edgar Allan Poe's poem, A Dream Within a Dream, 1827, which ends with the question, is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream? You think about that. Okay, so clearly the director, I guess, was inspired by Nightmare on Elm Street, um, but also is, is trying to mess with our sense of logic. Like any, any, if you're trying to use your logic to figure out, okay, what's going on? Is this, is she dreaming this or is it real? Like the director seems to be really messing with that. Actually, I thought that was a pretty cool effect because I found myself doing that throughout the film. I was like, oh, she's dreaming. So it's just, just dreams. Like, is it, is it not really? But then when she was making out with her boyfriend and he actually got drilled by the killer, I was like, oh, I, I didn't expect that at all. Um, but then when the, the sister Valerie woke up and she was dreaming the whole thing, I was like, oh, it was a Valerie dream. But 
that's pretty well done, though. That, that was kind of fun. So with this one, uh, it's good. I, I like this one a bit better than the first one, actually. Um, it was a little brighter and um, I don't know, a little sillier. This one was a bit sillier. The boyfriends were, were really silly. Um, and the fact they were in a pop band, it was kind of fun and, and silly. The girls are mega hot. Um, I especially liked the redhead singer Sheila. So this is actress Juliet Cummings, who in one scene of uh, frenzied, drunken dancing, takes off her shirt and bra and shakes her lady lumps for us all to enjoy. Um, it's about 23 minutes in for those of you who don't actually want to watch the movie. Definitely watch from 23 minutes in for about three or four minutes. Um, unfortunately, there weren't nearly enough memorable scenes like this one. And uh, so most of the film's kind of forgettable. Uh, I did also really enjoy scenes where the girls are rehearsing, especially this one scene in the condo um, at about 36 minutes through. It sounds a bit like this. <laughs> Massacre 3, released 1990, directed by Sally Madison, produced by Roger Corman. Um, this one runs for about 87 minutes. So at the beginning of the film, there's a bunch of hot teenage girls, all 18 at least, of course, um, are playing beach volleyball with their goofy guy love interests. Um, on a beach. So the film gives us kind of three possibilities at the beginning for who the killer is going to be. Because we know it's a slasher film and uh, there's going to be a killer. So they, they kind of give us three different possibilities. 
Um, first one. So while at the beach, a creepy loner guy shows up and he watches the girls quietly and kind of dispassionately from a distance, um, but close enough for them to see him. So that's number one. Number two, uh, one of the girls, Juliet, meets an older guy named Ken, who's a friend of a friend from her high school, and he shows an interest in her. So this is on the beach they meet. That's the second possibility. Third possibility, when the main character, Jackie, she gets dropped off by her love interest, Frank, at home after the beach, the house front door is open. And when she goes into her house, her creepy neighbor named Morgan is in the foyer and he's claiming he found her front door open and he thought it was an open house, so he let himself in. So that's the third possibility. So that's the first 15 minutes of the film. They're playing volleyball. They're looking good. And then the film gives us three possibilities for who the, the killer is going to be in the film. Um, the first guy, he looks super creepy. He seems like he's going to be the killer. But the neighbor also seems super creepy. He seems like he's going to be a killer. The second guy, Frank, he just seems like he's a love interest for one of the girls. Okay. So a little while later... Um, a bunch of the girls who were at volleyball arrive at Jackie's house and they're there for the slumber party. So there's barbecue, there's beer, there's champagne, there's ice cream. Uh, then just a little while later, just as their love interests are about to predictably crash the party, the girls have begun drinking and dancing and two of the girls have a strip dance off. So this is uh, taking the cue from Slumber Party 2, Slumber Party Massacre 2, where the girls did the same thing. They were drinking and dancing. They started to take all their clothes off. I guess they thought, hey, that was a pretty cool scene, so let's do that one again. So at this point, um, the girls are dancing. They start to take their clothes off, and um, you should check out that scene, by the way. Um, that's when the love interest goofy guys drop by and try and scare the girls. And that breaks up that scene. Um, but shortly after that, some of the fringe characters start to get um, start getting killed. But we're still not sure who the killer is because the killer, he or she, um, has a mask on. So all the way at the midpoint of the film now, um, Juliet and Ken, the guy from the beach, begin fooling around in one of the bedrooms. And Ken can't get an erection. So Juliet tells him to go down on her. So after they're finished, the killer kills Juliet while she is in the bath. So Juliet takes a bath after the sex, or not sex. And uh, the killer kills Juliet while she's in a bath. And he does it by dropping an electric dildo into the water and she is electrocuted. A shocking death. So Ken, after they discover Juliet's body, Ken and one of the other dudes goes for help. Okay? And uh, then at this point, Ken finally reveals himself as the killer when he attacks the dude who he's with and he cuts both of the dude's Achilles tendons with a chainsaw. That was, uh, I didn't like that. Um, so it turns out what the backstory is here is that Ken's uncle was a police officer 
and the he recently well there was a news report that he recently committed suicide and Ken seems to be somehow out for some kind of revenge and he's getting this revenge through slaughtering hot looking teenage girls uh, I don't know how that connects but that seems to be what he's doing there's some evidence for that in that while he's attacking one girl uh, later in the film he says you know you did this you're jealous weren't you <laughs> you have to be jealous I'm your uncle so who knows what he's doing there but he clearly has some unresolved issues to work out with his deceased uncle and he's somehow doing it by murdering teenage girls uh, so I don't know what was really happening there uh, so in the end the three remaining girls have to kill Ken uh, with his own drill which may be a metaphor for the physical and sexual abuse that Ken's uncle inflicted on him if that's what was happening kind of seems like that's what was happening because he's clearly angry at his uncle and he's killing the girls he's doing it with the drill and it's sort of sexual and earlier on Ken was impotent when he was with that girl so kind of feel like there's some sexual abuse going on and that I don't know it's not not entirely clear um yeah that this one's okay this is the least good one I'm going to rank them in order number two is the best number one is second number three is third um, this one's okay. They're all worth uh, at least watch once. Um, I would even say that if you're watching all three, like if you're getting together with a bunch of people and you're going to watch all three, that would be pretty cool. I can handle that, especially because all of them are about 75, 80 minutes. So it's not like it's a huge amount of time. You might want to do it over two days. But if you had to do it all in one night, wouldn't be the end of the world. If you had it on, you were having uh, some drinks and having some company over, that'd be a lot of fun. Thank you for listening today. Check out the show notes for this episode or any episode on my website at ptpod.xyz. The show notes contain the links to all my sources and products that were referenced in the episode. You can write a glowing review of my podcast on iTunes or Google Play. There are handy-dandy links in the menu on my website at ptpod.xyz. And you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash pt pod the intro music for today's episode was sweeter vermouth courtesy of kevin mcleod at incompetech.com check out the link in the show notes now it's time for the fun part